This is Without Compromise, a show that explores what happens when you won't settle for anything less than your crazy ideas. We'll talk to athletes, founders, adventurers, and entrepreneurs of all kinds about living without compromise. I'm your host, Mason Gravely. Welcome to the show. We're programmed for survival, so our instinct is to give up on these situations, to move away from them. I thought if I didn't sign up for that race, that I was just going to disappear. It doesn't have to be these big, huge things that everyone thinks you need to do to make a difference. Shelby is passionate about how you can use the power of adventure to improve your mental well-being and live without compromise. She's a journalist turned podcaster, and back in 2016, she started the hit podcast called Wild Ideas Worth Living. And on that show, she interviews athletes, adventurers, CEOs, thought leaders, people basically leaping into the unknown of life through the form of adventure and nature. It's an amazing show. And over the years, she's learned so much that she decided recently to compile it all in a book called Will to Wild that's basically an instruction manual on how to adventure, how to leap from the known and into the unknown and unfamiliar, aka the wild terrain. Whether that be in adventure in nature or in life, in business, in relationships, she takes this inspiration from her show and turns it into a how-to guide with practical tips and tactics of getting unstuck, facing your fears, and what to do when you leap and everything just goes wrong. So it was a really interesting conversation. She is a fellow podcaster, like I said, so her the audio is amazing. This is one of those rare instances where it feels like we're in the room together, but we're not. It's so nice interviewing other podcasters because it always sounds so good. So whether you're an adventure junkie or you're someone who's never set up a tent or have no plans at all of going outside and being in nature, being adventurous, this applies to you because it applies to us here at Athletic Brewing. We obviously took a huge leap of faith, huge against the grain step of making a brewery without alcohol. And that's really scary when you're looking at that and haven't done it yet. Maybe you've got an idea that you feel the same way about. You're going to love this conversation. Let's go ahead and dive in. Shelby Stanger, welcome to Without Compromise. I'm excited to talk to you. I actually just grabbed my athletic brewing light beer, and then Johnny took it from me. I was like, what are you doing? I think he thought I was drinking a real beer. He's like, are you doing a podcast? <laughs> yeah. How does it feel to be on this side of the mic so so often right now? You know, because usually you're the one in my seat, but for a while you've been on the other side of things. Is that just a whole new experience for you? I've been tricking podcast hosts into like letting me kind of interview them, but most of them like you are smart and they're not letting me get away with it. So yeah, of course it's weird because I want to know why every single podcast host weirdo like me started their podcast. Like I always want to know the why behind why people do what they do. Right. And so I'll answer the question, but then I usually have a follow up and they're like, what are you doing? This is, I'm interviewing you. So yeah, it's totally weird, but I love it. It's, it's a new experience. Do you miss being back on this side or is it like, you know, I could I could get used to this? Um, I'm lucky because I still have a podcast that I host every week and there's two questions that I've been really diving into lately. Pun intended, actually. You know, I've interviewed a lot of adventures the last, my whole life, basically. I started writing an adventure column when I was 19 years old, but the podcast Wild Ideas Worth Living, which REI Co-op Studios owns now. I started it in 2016. They took it over in 2020, and I've stayed on as the host. But there's 
two questions I've really been curious about lately. I feel like I've interviewed a lot of land adventurers. So I'm really curious about what people who are looking up into space and people exploring down, like completely beneath the sea. And next week I get to talk to an astrophysicist who studies supernovas. I'm still I'm still interviewing other people, but I kind of like talking about myself. I mean, there was a joke in high school that I was voted most likely to succeed and most likely to wear a t-shirt that said I was voted most likely to succeed. So I have a little bit in that of that in me. But yeah, I, I actually really prefer to talk to other people, to be honest, about their life rather than my own. That's super interesting. I'm sure you learned a lot through this process. Well, well tell us, a, tell me kind of more in more detail, because I'll, I'll mention a lot of this in the intro, but like, what is will to wild? What does that phrase mean to you? How did you come to that to kind of capture the essence of this book? I know it's an instruction manual, like for adventure, for your life. Um, but what is the will to wild? The will is the choice. And it's the choice to live with, I believe, intention. And the wild refers to having a relationship with Mother Nature, however you define nature. And it can look like a lot of things for a lot of people. I know that the people listening to your podcast are mostly adventurers. A lot of them are trail runners or hikers or runners. They have a relationship with nature. But it's about choosing to continue that relationship with nature and to continue to explore your own inner nature. That means asking yourself the hard questions and continuing to find ways to better yourself. And there's a lot of ways that people are trying to improve their life. They're taking supplements or illegal supplements or <laughs> they're going to therapy or gurus or whatever. I believe the best way to improve your life is to do an adventure that's meaningful to you is the best way to get unstuck and to kind of build courage. There's nothing else I've ever tried in my life that builds courage, resiliency, invokes awe, and produces all these beautiful emotions that are integral to being a catalyst to change than doing an adventure. And adventure is personal. So one person's climbing of Mount Everest is another person's first swim in a lake. Mm -hmm. or jumping off a high dive. It doesn't have to be a giant adventure. It just has to be big to you. And, and it's interesting what is a big adventure to people. Sometimes a big adventure is not nearly as attractive because it's just, you know, there's a lot of people doing it. Maybe the Appalachian Trail deters folks that, you know, don't want a busy trail, but something that no one's ever heard of sounds a lot bigger because there isn't a guidebook for it. There isn't kind of that how-to yet. Um so, so where did this idea even come from? You know, I know you host the podcast, uh, Wild Ideas Worth Living, but what, what, why this book? Where did this idea come from? For me, I learned how to surf at age 11. And in my town, there weren't really many women who surfed. It just wasn't like a big thing. Now, girls surf everywhere, and it is just so beautiful to see it. But I played soccer growing up. My parents were from the East Coast. They didn't even really like sand at the beach, <laughs> but I went to this water sports camp and I learned to surf and I just loved it. I think there's a couple things about surfing. It's thrilling. You're in the ocean. You ride these waves. No wave is alike. There's all this wildlife around from dolphins to sand sharks to stingrays, Garibaldi fish. It's just really cool. And I think surfing does this thing. A lot of surfing is sitting and you're out sitting waiting for waves. 
And surfing like rock climbing, like a lot of sports outdoors, tricks you into meditating. And I learned to surf at a really pivotal point in my life. My dad had passed away suddenly of a heart attack when I was 11. And I went to this surf camp the summer I turned 12. And so I spent a lot of time sitting on a surfboard, getting worked by the waves, riding waves, having joy, playing, all these emotions that are so helpful to also healing. And I think in the water, I got a lot of answers that I didn't get like in a therapist's office (laughs) or elsewhere. And I just learned to chill out. I was a pretty high-strung ADHD kid with a lot of energy. And the ocean just really felt like a sense of calmness to me. Later on in life, when I was about 15 or 16, there was a woman who had taught at this water sports camp and she was so cool. She was the first female instructor I'd ever had. She ended up starting an all-women's surf school, which at the time was incredibly novel. There was nothing like that. And women would come for a weekend or week-long clinic and I got to be a surf instructor at a really young age at like 16. And they would come for the weekend, sometimes week-long clinic. Pretty shortly afterwards, one of them would call me and they'd say, Shelby, I quit my job or I ended my relationship that I needed to end. It wasn't serving me or they were moving across the country to San Diego to a place with a better beach so they could take up surfing full time. And after that, their life would never be the same again. And surfing, learning to surf seems like such a simple activity, but it completely changed their life. So I learned a lot from being a surfer myself, but from being an outdoor guide or a surf instructor, I learned a lot about fear, about courage, and about the fact that adventure, even a small one, can completely change your life and continue to change it for the rest of your life in a positive way. Mm, there's a there's a couple things I want to touch on there um, that I think it'd be really interesting to hear your perspective on, and that's uh, do you always need a drastic change in life or kind of a culprit that's that's uh really drastic like that to make a change like do you need to be going through a breakup or a move or something tragic or you know something difficult to have a you know a reason to make that change or or if life's going well can you you know muster up the energy and courage to to make the change anyway because you know for for a lot of people life might be going okay for others they might be going through something but you know i think change is can be made by all of us what what's your thoughts on that i think it's both like i think often when you're really stuck a good way to get unstuck that's healthy is to pursue an adventure but i also think to keep life interesting and fresh also to pursue adventure and that could be daily adventures like i do like these daily snacks of adventure every day i happen to live really close to the beach And I go out and I time myself sometimes because I might not always have a lot of time. And I'll be like, in 10 minutes, how many waves can I catch and get back to my house? And I can catch like three or four waves, which is a lot on a good day. Um, And then make it back to my house and shower. Like that is fast. That means- And and that 10 minutes is worth it? It is so worth it because I run down these stairs. I'm in the sand. I always see something cool in nature. You know, there's there's this thing about outdoor adventure that I played soccer growing up. I ran track. I played every stick and ball sport you could imagine. I was a total jock, and I loved it. But there's something about outdoor sports that stick and ball sports didn't do for me. And I think it all comes down to awe. 
that emotion that takes us out of our heads, makes us realize how small we are in the world and yet how connected we are to each other. It makes us feel grateful. It makes us feel all these things at once, but it happens often in nature. And it doesn't always happen like on a soccer field or a baseball field or a track as much as it does for me in places like the oceans, the mountains, the rock wall, the snow field, whatever. And, and I'll just take the ocean for example. So like in those 10 minutes, you know, often I'll see a fin pop up out of the ocean and it's always scary because you're like, oh God, is that a shark or is it a dolphin? Like 99.999% of the time that fin is a dolphin. And it's always, it always takes you out of your head. Or like the other day I saw a hawk, like how often is you see a hawk? And it's so cool. Or you'll see pelicans surf the waves. And it's just like, there's so much of our life right now that is absolutely predictable, especially with technology. And now AI, like so much of our life, we know what's going to happen. But when we go outside in nature, even in small doses, we get a lot of unexpected, beautiful surprises. And we challenge ourselves and it feels good and it's joyful and it just, it's natural. I think that's why we do it. But that emotion of awe, that emotion that takes us out of our heads, makes us feel connected and smaller at the same time, it's pretty abundant to experience that emotion in nature. And you don't even have to do anything hard. All you have to do is go outside at night and look up at stars to experience awe. You know, every time I look up and I see stars, it's hard to see them where I live because I live in a pretty busy place and there's a county fair happening right now, right outside my house. It's so bright that it like cancels out all the, it feels like daylight almost all night. But when the fair goes away, the sky's relatively dark on the beach and you can see stars. And it's so cool to think about the fact that these stars are like connected to entire galaxies and there's things so much bigger than us out there and we're so small and I don't know, we can be totally happy and adventure is still good for us. I think it continues to make us happy. So no, you don't have to be stuck or, you know, have, you don't have to have just gone through a divorce or a breakup or want to quit your job to have an adventure be a catalyst for change. But I think adventure keeps us engaged in the world it keeps us connected. It also keeps us like very conscious of what's around us. I think a lot of the adventures I interview and that you interview, I'm sure are really thoughtful people. They care about the planet. They care about other people. And yeah, I don't know. It just makes us feel alive. You talk about uh, like being conscious or being intentional about doing adventures and or, or just being active or pursuing that thing you love. And you know, I feel like as a kid or growing up like you with surfing, it just it's just kind of happening. You enjoy it. You love doing it. You want to do it more. Um, but as adults, I don't know, I feel like we can find ourselves forgetting what we really love and what really makes us come alive. Uh, what, what did you learn about that as far as uh, being intentional about pursuing uh, the, the will to out? Again, that, that first word in the book, will kind of comes to mind. It, it it takes an effort to make it happen. Well, yeah, for me, I mean, the way, the reason I'm able to surf for 10 minutes and catch four waves is because I live on the beach. But the way I'm able to do that is I live in a house that's like kind of falling apart. It's probably wouldn't be the first place a lot of people our age would decide to live in. But it's the sacrifice that I would make because I'd rather live in a pretty 
shabby house with my own steps to the sand than like a super fat house that's really shiny and fancy where I have to like get in a car and then drive to the beach. So it's about making conscious decisions to choose to have a relationship with nature. And for everybody, that's personal. You know, some people like rocks, some people like desert, some people like mountains, some people like sand. But there's something about having a relationship with nature that I think changes us. You know, besides feeling awe, being in nature provides a lot of great metaphors for life. And I've learned my best lessons, and I'm sure you have too, being out in nature. And the most classic example is like, you know, rainbows. You can't have a rainbow without putting up with the rain. And I think that metaphor applies to so many different parts of life as well. I don't know if I answered your question. Uh, I, th- I think you did. I don't know either. <laughs> I'm just playing. Um, t- so you've been the host of Wild Ideas Worth Living since 2016. And in in podcasting years, like dog years, that's like forever. You know, so many people have started shows since then, but that's like way back when. And you've, you've had a lot of practice there and like, you know, refining your message and your what the stories you tell. Uh, how does Will to Wild differ from Wild Ideas Worth Living and what you're trying to portray and what you're trying to uh, get across to folks? And, and is there anything unique about both of them that uh, the other one doesn't get into? Well, I felt like there was a lot of books about adventure in the world and a lot of them glorify the finish line. And a lot of them talk about how great the adventure was, but there was no like step-by-step book out there that talks about how to go from idea to finish line in an adventure. And I just kept hearing these reoccurring themes from people on the podcast who would come and they would talk about things like imposter syndrome, failure, fear, and then what happens when they get to the finish line of every adventure. And one thing a lot of people told me was that there was some depression or some fatigue at the end of a big adventure. And I didn't feel like that was being talked about in any book form. And so, you know, the podcast is cool. It's just stories of adventures. And usually we focus on one theme, their wild idea and the why behind it. The book is more like philosophical on how you go from idea to finish line and what to do when everything goes wrong, which inevitably happens on every single adventure. I mean, even Yvonne Chouinard says it's not an adventure until pretty much something goes wrong. And so the book is, it's part memoir, some of my story. It's stories from the many people I've interviewed over the course of many years, not just on Wild Ideas Worth Living, but as an adventure journalist. And then at the end, because I'm an adventure I don't love sitting down and reading long books. Like if you just want to get to the advice section, there's advice at the end of each section in each chapter that says like, you know, what to do. Some ideas on how to make it happen. And I'm not a guru. I'm not a doctor. But so far, the reviews of the book have been really positive. And I've gotten a few that have said, hey, this book completely changed my life. And that's wild to have someone write you and say that. It's like the most amazing barometer of success to me. You know, like I don't, I wrote down in the beginning, I'm like, listen, selling a book in 2023, I know is going to be really hard. There's a lot of content out there. And if I, if I was three months later, I could have had AI at least edit my book. And pretty much from now on, AI can write your book. So I was like three months too late to let chat GBT do any of this work for me, um, which I guess is a blessing and maybe a curse. But you know, I set the barometer to be like, will this book resonate with someone? I just wanted to have it resonate with some person. And 
So far it has. So, so tell us a little bit about how the principles from the book apply. Obviously it's, you know, framed around adventure and, you know, nature, but like, how does it apply to anybody doing anything? You know, a lot of people that listen to this podcast might not be quote outdoor adventures. They might be more runners or, or business leaders or um, pursuing something totally different and education or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a hardcore adventurer. I've never climbed Mount Everest. I have no desire to bike from Alaska to Patagonia. People in the book have, but I'm not going to do that. I mean, my adventure was starting Wild Ideas Worth Living, a podcast. After quitting a job that was great on paper, and actually was great in real life too, it just wasn't what I wanted to do anymore with my time. And I think part of the will to wild is about making these decisions that don't always make sense on paper. And that was the thing that I really wanted to explore in this book. And for me, the way I've come to the answers to these questions that don't always make sense on paper is to spend a little time outside and to get those answers. There are many lessons to be learned in nature, and I feel like that is universal. What's a story that maybe didn't make the final cut of the book that you can share? I don't want to give too much away, but what, what's something that maybe you can share that, that we'd find interesting that kind of speaks to the, the tone and the message? I mean, every time I do a podcast, I'm like, why didn't I have you in the book? So I actually just interviewed a guy that came out this week. His name is BJ Griffin, and he's a musician who became a freediver. And he had this wild idea to just learn to freedive. And BJ happens to be black. He's a bigger guy. He does not fit what you think the stereotypical freediver looks like. I, I I imagine like Scandinavian or something. You know, is that is that wrong? Is that totally yeah, off? Yeah, it's just like like some like European dude. That's that's where a lot of freediving. BJ Griffin is from Virginia Beach and he said freediving completely changed his life. It helped him get healthier. He lost a ton of weight. And he does these incredible movies underneath the water set to his own music that he creates where he's like dancing in the water. And he just completely changed the stereotype of what freediving looks like to me on its head. I mean, I worked for a diving company. I worked for Body Glove, the, one of the most classic dive companies in the world. And I'm friends with a lot of authors who've written books about free diving. And, you know, to think of someone like dancing underwater, singing soul music, like that is just nothing I ever associated with a sport of free diving. And no one has made me want to go free diving more than this guy. So to me, he's a perfect example of someone who had a really wild idea, made it happen. And the thing about wild ideas and the will to wild that the podcast shares and that the book message shares is that wild ideas often spread like wildfire. One wild idea will often lead to something so much greater. So for BJ Griffin, he started an organization called, I want to say it's called Diving for Peace, where he brings people together. They go diving in these like remote, awesome holes where you dive down, you see all sorts of cool stuff. But then there's music, there's campfire, there's s'mores, there's good food. It's totally like what you and I would want to do to spend our weekend. So he he does this and he brings together, you know, people of all different backgrounds and races and socioeconomic levels and it's just so cool. And they're just happy and they free dive and they enjoy each other's company. But also he recently just got asked to be on America's Got Talent. And I think the guy is going to end up doing very well. I'm not sure. I'm not allowed to say, I don't know, to be honest, but I saw on his Instagram that he tried out and, um, 
I expect good things to come from him. So, you know, you have no idea that going free diving and making a video on it will lead you on America's Got Talent. And, you know, there are people in the book who, you know, one guy's just an artist and he wanted to start drawing with chalk outside. And drawing with chalk outside led him to take up this hobby where he does these like sidewalk chalk art paintings. And he's become like one of the biggest art influencers on TikTok and cities pay him lots of money to go draw on their sidewalks. And it's it's cool. I mean, it's all about pursuing, this book is about pursuing wild ideas, things that might not make sense in paper that people might tell you you're crazy for doing, but that if you do, will propel your life forward in a positive way. And that's kind of what the will to wild is. It's about doing this thing that maybe not everyone is going to completely think you're smart for doing, but that you do anyway, and that it fuels your soul so much and ends up doing good for yourself and for the world. This is just so perfect for this community because, you know, this this idea, this that, that we're even, you know, this podcast is from Athletic Brewing, of course, that makes non-alcoholic beer. It's so against the grain. It's so totally. such a crazy idea when it got started and, and just often, you know, shot down by folks and, and, and dismissed as crazy. But we're, you know, we're, we're doing this path. We're doing what you're talking about in the book. Um, but And before we dive into rapid fire, I did want to ask, what's a lesson or a principle that you wish young Shelby knew that you learned about uh, through this process of writing the book? What do you, What's something you wish, man, I really wish the younger version of me would have learned this, would have known this? To not put any pressure on the finish line. Like, I know it sounds cliche, but like, enjoy the journey take time to take the scenic route and celebrate along the way. I think, you know, young Shelby was very focused on like end results, big ticket items, check marks, bucket lists, and mountain peaks. And older Shelby is stoked on like the climb and enjoying the journey. And right now that journey is getting to connect to people like you and maybe some of your listeners and learning about things like athletic brewing and all the great things that they're doing. That's where the secret sauce is, I think. That's awesome. Well, better better now than uh, than never. And uh, hopefully there's a young Shelby out there that can gain that wisdom now, learn it now on this end. Let's go ahead and dive into rapid fire. Uh, first question, outside of your book and outside of your podcast and your adventures, what would you say is your proudest achievement? What is my proudest achievement? I think falling in love. Love is such a game changer. And I've been in love a lot, but but finding a partner, a life partner, he's awesome. And I met him surfing in Costa Rica. And I just kept taking his waves until he talked to me. <laughs> and it worked eventually, you know, maybe months later. But, you know, he's my best friend. And I think going in the world with another partner who's also adventurous makes the ride more enjoyable. And he's just such a good guy. And he's just my buddy. And he's been so supportive of the book and the podcast and everything else. And I don't know. I think falling in love is probably my proudest achievement. That is a great answer. And I think you're the first guest to ever say that too. Oh, wow. That's cool. I mean, I, if I had kids, I'd probably say having kids, but I don't have kids. I have nephews and I love being a part of their life, but um, they're not mine. <laughs> I can give them back at the end <laughs> of the day. They're great though. 
Yeah, we've been together for like, I think almost a dozen years. So yeah, so far so good. So cut off a guy surfing if you're going to date him. Otherwise, probably shouldn't cut anybody off. Does not make you friends. It's dangerous. It's bad surfing etiquette. But if you guys end up together for the long run, in that case, maybe. I don't know. It's one of those ideas that was bad on paper, but, you know, the right execution, it, it lasts, you know, <laughs> decade plus. Keep going. And, I, you know, I tried to run away a couple times, but we both, uh, oh, we both stuck it out. I think it's worth it. That's uh, it's another podcast episode right there. Yeah, love, lo- love is really like, I think, the love and kindness. Those are the, kind of the messages at the end of the book, as cheesy as they are, that really thread the messages of will to wild and wild ideas together. Like when you do something motivated by love, for love, you know, really works out in the best of ways. Always. Kindness is in incredibly underrated in in, in fact i i feel like i don't be quoting me here but i I remember reading some studies or something that said like the biggest indicator of relationships making it you know into uh you know decades long relationships healthy relationships that is like was the the, one of the biggest indicators was are they kind to one another kindness was like it's good to know if they weren't kind it was almost guaranteed to fall apart at some point or something would cause it to you know, the, the weaknesses to kind of blow up the relationship. And I thought that was super interesting. In fact, that's like the two things I want to teach my kids are to be kind, one, and two, to be problem solvers. Because, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want them to solve problems that are, you know, selfish or solve problems that are only for their gain. But I feel like if kindness leads with everything, it leads to selflessness, it leads to love, it leads to um, understanding and patience. I just feel like it all hinges on the choice of being kind but we'll see if that pays off maybe i'll do that with one kid and do a different philosophy with the other see what happens i'll let you know but but next question biggest goal not yet achieved i know that your last message or your your you know lesson to young shelby was don't focus on the finish line but if there is there a finish line or is there something you would like to achieve and get to i think i'd like to have own a really rad house which is really tricky on the beach in Southern California right now in our neighborhood where Bill Gates lives down the street. But that is a goal. I know it sounds like a material goal. It is a material goal, but that's the one I can think of right now on the top of my head. Like I have a house on the beach, but I want to own the house on the beach. I love that. I did not expect that either. And that is uh, another, another unique answer, I'm pretty sure. Just a just a few more books and podcast episodes. A few more books to sell. Just a few more. A few hundred thousand more books. Maybe a million. <laughs> what What is like, I know on the last interview I had, which will be out in a, uh, on my personal show, um, you talked about like the perfect adventure, but what, what, what is your, like your go-to activity? Something you, you try to do often, uh, you know, a, a, an adventure or, or an experience that, that is like a perfect experience for you. Actually for me, a, a go-to adventure is the mountains locally. So next week I'm going to Big Bear Lakes, which I've never been to, um, or never been to in the summer. And we're going to do some hikes and trees. We're going to do some stand up paddle boarding on Big Bear Lake and maybe see a bear who knows um that that'll be exciting and then the month after going to mammoth mountains for me because i live on the beach 
pine tree time is like so valuable to me. I just love being around big trees and dark skies. Like I just want to see trees and stars. Same. So those are the two requirements in like an adventure for me. I've got surf adventures right out my front door and water adventures. I can do them all day long, but tree time. Tree time. I love that. Um, what is the fastest way you've learned that people can make their life more adventurous for whatever that means to them. Join a running club or a climbing gym. And you don't even have to join it. Just take a lesson or hire a guide and a guide to go do something that you never would have done before. Because I think people get really intimidated by adventures like wakeboarding or surfing or climbing. I mean, they intimidate me and I'm a seasoned adventurer and backpacking. Like that's, that's kind of scary too. But I don't really think hiring a guide is that expensive in the scheme of how we spend our money, like going to a restaurant or whatever. There's a lot of things you can spend your money on. And if you can hire a guide to do an adventure, it, it takes a lot of the guesswork out. They provide the gear, they keep you safe. They tell you where to go. It's more enjoyable. There's other people learning alongside you often. Um, otherwise I always recommend people to give back. And if you can volunteer with an outdoor organization, that's a great way to also get involved. And you get so much more from giving than you ever get from getting. So part of living wildly is kindness and paying it forward. And there's a whole chapter in the book on trail angels. And, you know, it's really cool to accept help from a trail angel, but I think it's even cooler to be a trail angel yourself. And that means, you know, providing help to someone who needs it on the trail or literally if you know how to hike or you know how to surf or you know how to rock climb, taking someone along with you. And if you don't know how to do any of this and you're just getting into adventure, either volunteer, go to meetup.org and find a group that does something that you want to try or hire a guide. Having a guide does not mean you're less adventurous. In fact, there's so many times that things went terribly on my trips that I, I, regret, I wish I would have had a guide because it may have prevented me from not ever wanting to do that activity again. Whitewater rafting, I'm looking at you. Tried to do that without a guide took my mother-in-law and my wife and, and and friends and we legitimately almost died and i thought my mother-in-law died oh, and it was no. just no <laughs> we still talk about it to this day of like never <laughs> we're never doing that again and i've been <laughs> whitewater rafting plenty oh, no. of times with guides that were like great times and i'm like oh i can do this or or i trusted my friend that he could do it and oh my god just went off the rails everybody was thankfully okay. And the gear thing is, is, you know, gear can be expensive and it can add up and you don't need good gear. You just need gear that works. But if you hire a guide or go with an outfitter, they have all that stuff for you. So you don't need to go buy it. You don't need to add it to your garage. That's just going to sit there. So, you know, athletic brewing here, we make a lot of brews on each can. It used to say you brew without compromise. And that really helped build the foundation here at athletic brewing. And, you know, in order to brew without compromise, there's thousands of stories of how we had to brew and kind of make decisions without compromise. We couldn't just stop at brewing. It took, you know, every aspect of the business takes doing it without compromise. And then what we realize it's it's not just at work that's without compromise. It's life. It's at home life. It's your time off. It's 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 being it's living your whole life without compromise in order to build something like athletic brewing. Um, what does it mean to you to live without compromise? Living without compromise means being authentic. That means being authentic to yourself and to others, to your work, and to being kind. That doesn't mean not making mistakes. 
It means making mistakes and then owning them and being okay with it. And then laughing along the way because life is short. Look up at the stars. We're just this small little dot in the universe. Laugh along the way. There you have it, folks. You can learn more about Shelby at shelbystanger.com or her book, Will to Wild, which I personally am really enjoying, at willtowild.com. And she's all over the internet. Just look for it. Her podcast, Wild Ideas Worth Living, one of my favorites. If you're interested in trying any of the brews here at Athletic Brewing, go to athleticbrewing.com, learn more about how you can purchase them right there on the website or find them on store shelves near you. (laughs) 